Welcome to Pulling Weeds, a podcast of the Carolinas GCSA. We'd like to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of those of the people on the podcast and do not reflect the views of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendent Association or any of its sponsors. All right, everybody. Welcome in to another episode of Pulling Weeds. Um, We're going to go a little different direction here. Another series like we did earlier in the year, but um, this one, we're at Sand Hills Community College today, joined by a number of folks, and we're going to call this series Tim's Future Bosses um, from the association perspective. So first on the list today is Tanner. Tanner, say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody. How's it going? All right. So Tanner, what's your last name? Barnes. B-A-R-N-E-S. All right, so um, we will not ask for your social security number because this will go public. Just kidding. All right, so what um, what course are you at? We're at CCNC. CCNC. For all those people in Australia, Russia, Spain that listen in, tell them exactly what that stands for. So it's the Country Club of North Carolina. Okay, Country Club of North Carolina. All right, so um, where's home for you? Vast, vast North Carolina. So How f- Tiny, tiny little town, 20 minutes away. 20 minutes away from? Santos Community College, where we are now. In Pinehurst. That's it. North Carolina. The home of the U.S. Open Championships, I think I saw as I drove in, right? They're, they're pretty proud of it, yeah. All right, so how long have you been over at CCNC? About seven years, just, just a little bit under seven years. Um, how'd you end up there? Nepotism and a friend of a friend. It's a, nice. it's a it's a pretty fun story. I, I needed a job, and a buddy of mine needed a job, and his dad knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy, and so he got hired, and he got me hired, and been there ever since. Is he still there? Nope. He's moved on to much bigger and better things. He does IT work now. Ah, he got out of the turf industry. He did. He did, but he makes much better money. Nice, but that's why you're doing this program, if I'm not mistaken, right, so that you can move up in the ranks and make more money in the turf industry, right? That is absolutely it. All right, so tell everybody a little bit about the actual program that you're going through and why we're at the community college today. So the, the USGA GAP, the USGA's Greenskeeper Apprenticeship Program, is an educational program for anybody getting into the turf industry or who's already been in the turf industry. It's somewhat of a certificate program, and it kind of like formalizes a bunch of the skills that you've already been honing on the golf course and really helps certify what you're already doing and what you're already good at. And All right. If if you're one of those people who's already been doing it, and if you're a newcomer, they teach you those skills. Okay. So, um, what are some of your hobbies outside of the uh, green keeping realm? I'm an, I'm an avid indoorsman. If it happens inside, I like doing it. <laughs> I like I like painting models. Yo, I like playing games. Models. Yeah. Like car models that we did growing up. Basically the same. Yeah. Legos. Oh yeah, I've got a big box of Legos. A big box. You don't build the sets and leave them. No. No, that's, that's not where the fun's at. The fun's in putting them together, not in, not in having them lying around. Okay. So once you've built something, do you just throw it in the box and then it becomes a pile of everything else and then you start making whatever you want? 100%. It's a, it's a natural erosion process. You pick the box up, you shake it around, carry it around a little bit, and you're like, oh, here's half a spaceship. Cool. And then you build a new spaceship. Okay. What's the craziest thing you've ever built? It, just unique. The, the, like I couldn't go buy in the Lego store. Like, what's something you made? Um, a model of my staircase in my house. 
Yeah. Seriously? I'm, I'm, do you have a spiral staircase or something? Cool? I do not have a spiral staircase. Um, so my, my, my staircase, it, it's got a unique rise and a run to it. Okay. Um, and so I, I needed to articulate to somebody who was going to build them, like, look, these are going to be really steep. The numbers are correct. Don't go changing them. I know it's going to look like this. And so I, I just slapped it together with Legos and was like, look, man, this is, a, this is about the angle I'm looking at. This is the rise and the run. This is where the stairs sit and all that jazz. And this is the cladding I want on the outside. And he was like, all right, good enough. And then he did it. So you Legoed it out. I did. To get it right. I did. Dude, that's so awesome. I can tell you we've never had a story like that on the P-Dub before. Oh, I'm, I'm full of those. Okay. Well, keep them rolling then. All right. Oh, so no. I'm assuming we live in an older home, like renovated then or new house or? New house. You're build, new build. Yep. New build, bought, paid for. Nice. Yep. House is uh, eight years old now, I think. I see. Are we married then? Engaged. Congratulations. Thank you. Nice. So no children running up and down those stairs. Nope. Because they will be considered a hazard for little ones, apparently, based on the pitch. They would be. Yeah. They're uh, they're like nine inches deep and like 10 or 11 inches high. So how many times have you fallen? Down them? Zero. Up them? Many. Many, 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 many. You, you get going too fast heading up them and shunk. Did you carpet them at all or are they hardwood? Uh, they are all hardwood. <laughs> how many of them? Uh, 11, I think might be 12. That's a bad fall. It is. It is. When Your it, knees I, are okay. I'm not seeing anything too bad. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're solid construction. All shins. Yeah. Are you a former soccer player? No, but I drink a lot of milk. Drink a lot of milk. Okay. Um, did you play any sports growing up? Nope. None. Play golf? Uh, once I've played one game of golf, worked in the industry for seven years, played one game. Let's go indoor sports. Bowling? Oh, yeah. So I, you bowl. I, I bowl about like I golf. It's, it's a pretty good 170. <laughs> okay. Um, what are some other indoor? Ping pong? I'm all right. I dabble. Arcade? You name it, I play it. Old school or new? Both. Except for Dance Dance Revolution. Can't do that. Don't have the coordination. Okay. Favorite old? Galaga. Oh, so you knew you know some old ones then. Yeah. Okay. Favorite new? Um, the new shooter ones are pretty fun. Like the like Call of Duty or stuff like that. Well, you said arcade, so I was still thinking arcade. Oh, okay, sorry. Like I, the Terminator arcade game is pretty solid. I didn't know there were new arcade games to be played. They still make them. They, they're mostly they make them for adults to go play in bars. Do you put quarters in them still, or are they all credit card based now? Yeah, they're tokens. Tokens. Yep. Are tokens no longer worth a quarter? They're still a quarter. I I don't know why they bother. So you just have to put more tokens in now? Yeah. How much does Galaga cost these days if you want to play? Uh, I think it's 50 cents. Wow. Is there a place around here you can still play? Uh, closer to Raleigh. Oh, we have an expert from the outside leaning oh, in. we do have an expert. We got a new place. They call it the Rec Room. Oh, the Rec Room. I, I think that's the name of the place. Funny. The newest guy in town already knows where the arcade place is. This will be fun to talk to him later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, so what are your aspirations then? Like, what are you, where are you going, man? What are you doing? What, like with my whole life? Yeah. I don't know. South Dakota sounds nice. Always thought about moving out there. Whereabouts? Not picky. Belfort, probably. You ever been? Nope. It's on my to-do list. So yesterday I was wearing my Mountain Dudes shirt. It's uh, Mount Rushmore, <laughs> and it looks like the Mountain Dew logo. Oh, that's awesome. I got it while I was out there. Um, my folks are from South Dakota. Oh, nice. So I have spent some time in the Dakotas, and that's why when you said that, I was like, he's a smart man. The Dakotas are where 
where I'd like very, to be as well myself. Very nice. Very, very like the, the pictures I've seen look really good. So there's something pretty special about the Badlands, sunrises and sunsets, I will say. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, originally, I'm from Washington State, so I'm more of a mountains guy. Okay. Is, is kind of my, my default, but the cost of living out in Washington State is pretty high. We've got family out there, you know, like going to see them and stuff, but for, for settling down long term, South Dakota's looking pretty good right now. So Washington, um, I think I was in seventh grade. And we ended up going up Rainier and camping. And, you know, you'd think at that point in your life that something named Icicle Creek it would be cold. And you'd know that before you just jumped in. Yeah. You'd think you'd have figured that one out. I'll never forget that. That's why when you said Washington, I was like, oh, gosh. That's, there's some cold places up there. So you're not afraid of the cold then? No, not in the least. It's, it's the heat that kills me, man. So why are you here? Honestly, it's a gr- like... The Country Club of North Carolina, it's a great place to work. My, my bosses are fantastic. You couldn't ask for better guys. Who are they? Uh, so uh, Ron Kelly runs the, the whole operation down there. And then we got two golf courses, Dogwood and Cardinal. Um, Dogwood is presided over by Josh, Josh Weston. And then Brandon Smith is in charge of Cardinal. And they're they're all fantastic in, in their own ways. But they're all great. Okay, so aspirations then within the turf industry. What are yours? Uh, make a lot of money and retire. Where? I don't know. Apparently, you can't make a lot of money in this industry, depending on who you're talking to. But Depending on who you're talking to. Yeah. Because uh, I would say if you talk to Ron, he might not tell you that. <laughs> Ron will tell you he doesn't make a dime. So all I'm saying is if Ron started at fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a year 72 years ago, oh yeah, he's probably doing all right. I would expect. Yeah. I, I said I it, Ron. I don't, I, don't, I don't think Ron would still be doing it if he wasn't making some decent money. I don't think he'd have the property he's got. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Outlaw has been a previous guest on this show, I will just say. Um, oh, i got to go back and watch that one then. Yeah, the difference is um, the amount of alcohol that the guests have had on this show versus the last one, I would say. No, I'm just kidding, Ron. It was a good episode. Um, we had a good time. So, All right, going back to the GAP program, if there was someone from – South Dakota, for instance, who was looking to move to the Carolinas and get into the turf industry. What, what would be your number one recommendation for looking at this program? Uh, be, be prepared to be outside. Be prepared to do some, some hard work. Uh, you don't need much more than a can-do attitude to, to make it in this program. Okay. Um, it, it's, it's a good program. Like Carson does a really good job like equipping you with all of the tools that you need to like succeed he's very good at like laying out this is what you need to do do this and you'll pass do do this and you'll make a good grade so on and so forth um and as for just working in the industry it's it's been the it's been my experience that your boss tells you what to do in the morning if you go out and do it he's happy with you it's not it's not a terribly complicated industry i tell youngsters that all the time and not to have the it's not my job attitude. If you see some trash laying on the floor, it's okay to just pick it up. Don't walk by. Yeah. You know, if you see a stick or a limb and you got a spot in the back of your big your buggy when you're driving by, I'd say pick it up. Yeah. You know, I'd rather explain to a boss, "Hey, I'm out weed eating. Why? Because that edge needed to be done. I had an edger in the back of my cart and I was riding back to the clubhouse versus riding by it and him telling you to have to go do it." Yeah, I mean, we get we get guys for like summer work all the time. You know, high schoolers, people are just blowing in for the summer. I tell them all the time, like. Your, your job isn't just to do bunkers. Your job is to make it look good out here. 
Like, like that's what your job is. So don't, yeah. don't look at anything and think it's not your job just because, well, he told me to do bunkers. He didn't say that I shouldn't do X, Y, or Z. No, your, your job is to make it look good. Yeah, no doubt. No, that's, I think, a positive attitude and, and a good work ethic still kind of go a long way. What, what's something that you've learned from this program that you don't think you would have learned? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with the value of experience. Um, the, the, the value of somebody who's been in a place for a long time and, and knows, you know, to, to an outsider, it might look like weird arcane science or, you know, some kind of mumbo jumbo wizardry or whatever, you know, why are you doing this at this time? Or why are you doing this at this time? But experience tells you why you're doing that. And as the new guy, you just don't have it. Nice. So after seven years, you still feel like the new guy? With, with, with the, with the right attitude, you always feel like the new guy. Um, it, it's, it's kind of one of those things where like, I, I always feel like I'm learning something. Um, I, I've, I've had the good fortune at my job to always be, I, I learn something new and they go, all right, cool. You've mastered that. Here's the next thing. Yeah. So I, I always feel like the new guy. I, I, it feels like almost every week it's like, here, go do this new thing you've never done before. Go do this, go figure it out. Good luck. Did you have a resume before you started doing this? Not worth talking about. No. Do you have one now? No, not really. But I mean, do you feel like if you had to, you've got a ton of new things that you could add to it? Yes. The, the only reason I don't have a resume put together is because I don't have any plans to leave where I'm working now. Nice. If, if, if I wanted to, I could put a lot more stuff on it. But I, I haven't touched that thing in six years. So um, the fiancé, she uh, a descendant of the Heinz family? Nope. Not independently wealthy? Y'all, y'all got to work? Yeah. Mm. yeah. So she's going to have to work too? She's been working. She's mm. Good at it too. She makes more money than I do. So you might have to follow her somewhere. Maybe, but probably not. She's trying to get into like tech and programming and all that stuff, which has a lot of work from home options. So, especially being right here next to the triangle, I got to assume there's yep. plenty of opportunities in that field. Okay. Um, last question for you. What's the first car you ever drove? Oh boy, it was a. 1968 Dodge Dart. Nice. Nope, it was not. It was terrible. I, I was it green like your shirt? Oh, green like an olive, like army green. Yeah, but yeah. I, I called it the tank. Namely, I called it a Sherman because it was just old and cranky. Um, the The brakes were gummy and barely worked. The speedometer didn't work above 35, and uh, it was it was a death trap. The the old style, like you know, bench seats, bench seat belts, no shoulder straps. Oh yeah. It was an experience. Quite familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Nice. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up because we're going to do a bunch of these episodes. So, um, Tanner, thank you for your time today. Anything else you want to tell the turf world out there to look out for that you're coming? Uh, yeah. Well, look out for me. <laughs> if, uh, if I stumble into your door, it's probably because I'm looking for a job. I'm a great guy, good sense of humor, and uh, pretty all right to work with. But beyond that, I mean, just keep on doing what you're doing. What about the mechanic side? You got any interest in delving into that? You mean like equipment? Equipment? No, no. I mean, I, I think the equipment side's cool. Like, in a lot of respect for the guys who do it. You know, sharpening reels and all that jazz. But it's just not for me, man. It's its own science, man. Those guys are those guys are a different mindset. I, I love them. Con- constantly unappreciated too. No doubt. Just chronically. No, nope, just like you guys too. But hey, that's why we're doing a podcast. So. Now you can have your newspaper article go share with your friends and your family from the turf industry. Oh, boy. <laughs> Send everybody this podcast. Look at me. I'm famous. You are. There you go. All right. 
That's it, Tanner. Thanks, man. I appreciate you being on. Appreciate you too, man. Yes, sir. All right, everyone. Welcome back in. We're going to say back. We're going to say in. We're going to say welcome to Pulling Weeds. And um, this is going to be the beginning of the Tim's Future Boss series. But I don't know that Carson, our guest right now, is going to qualify for that at this particular moment. Um, all right. Joining us is Carson Latat. Did I say it right? That's correct. Yeah, you got it. Okay, Carson, I'm going to let you tell everybody your new job title. Absolutely. So this is going to be a tricky one. Um, it's going to be a couple hats that are all layered together. Uh, so technically, I am employed full-time by Sand Hills Community College as an instructor. Uh, and I am also um, the proud owner of Latat Consulting, LLC, uh, who is contracted out by the USGA uh, to run the Greenkeeper Apprenticeship Program. So technically, I have two bosses, myself and the president of this college. Um, but uh, for all intents and purposes, I am the program coordinator for GAP. Uh, and so I get to be a teacher and a marketer and a branding consultant and a um, instructional designer and all things in one. Wow. Yep. So that's why I didn't just say the new guy at Gap. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Which would be also true as well. But uh, <laughs> a little bit more of the comprehensive side would be to describe that uh, it's, you know, it's a little messy to be employed by two places and to kind of be balancing this out. Uh, but it's kind of nice because I... I get to make and design curriculum that this USGA is going to own and which will be nice to be putting my name on something and designing something that will survive for years and years as an educational artifact. Um, but at the same time, getting the privileges of working at an academic institution, um, you know, as simple as just being able to make copies and have free access to printing posters and printing materials, um, that might be a little bit more difficult if I were just with the USGA and trying to get my hands on that all the time. Because when you're teaching a class, you invariably have to make copies of things and make um, you know, little little printed papers of other things and cut out things and staple things and bullet things. And so um, being able to do that at a school versus being decentralized somewhere else, kind of kind of handy. It is, it is. And as an association management guy, I get where you're coming from with that because a lot of those things we continue to have to outsource out just being a, a smaller group. So, okay, so I know you a little bit. We've met a couple times. Um, but for all the listeners out there who may never have met you, um, let's do a little background. Where, where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up, man? Yeah. So I grew up in Michigan, uh, which is always kind of neat for a lot of folks. They've never been there or they've at least uh, heard of Detroit. So it's kind of cool to have a talking point for two minutes when I meet somebody that it's like, hey, here's a place that, you know, you might not know. So grew up on the west side of Michigan, um, sort of southwest. Uh, if you drew a triangle between Battle Creek, Kalamazoo, and Grand Rapids, I'm right smack dab in the middle in Hastings. Uh, so graduated from Hastings High School. Um in high school, I was really active in FFA, uh, and so I think that sort of sowed the seeds uh, for being in agriculture and then committing to academia and seeing kind of where the two blend. Uh, so grew up there, worked on um, a small 18-hole um, golf course. Uh, my first job was just being a cart boy and working in the clubhouse. So um, sometimes I'd work on the grill, sometimes I'd park carts, um, sometimes I'd check in golfers, kind of a small facility. So wore a polo, tried to stay clean all day long. Uh, and the very next summer, transitioned out to the grounds crew and uh, worked at my home club, Hastings Country Club, uh, which is now the legacy. I think they've rebranded, you know, since uh, new ownership. But, um, yeah, so worked right on the grounds crew. So left the clubhouse, went out to the course. Um, I'll be honest, I hated that summer. That was maybe my least favorite summer of my entire life because all, all my buddies after graduation were having a good time post-senior year um, partying and hanging out. I was having to go to bed early every night to get up to had to get morning. up early. Yep. And in that time of my life, it was a different Carson uh, being, you know, 18, 19 years old and 
Sure. Not really liking that uh, sacrifice of the summer. Uh, but I got to play free golf, and, um, you know, I was uh, the spring of my senior year, I was on the golf team, and um, it was probably the happiest, you know, that I had been through my, mm-hmm. my high school career, and um, to get to kind of continue that through the summer was kind of neat. And so um, during that time, I was thinking about getting into turf. Um, I needed something that was going to give me a way to stay on the golf course, but then apply agronomic principles that I really had an affinity for in high school. Uh, and so I was like, well, I could get paid to actually be out here and just, you know, do a little bit more than mowing. Um, so it took a year uh, to go to Kellogg Community College and um, just took my gen eds and got those out of the way and then moved on to Michigan State. Um, so got into the turf program in Michigan State, um, worked at Egypt Valley Country Club in Grand Rapids, who hosted the uh, U.S. Junior Amateur in uh, U.S. Um, junior Amateur in 2010, I think, maybe. Um and then worked there for a couple seasons, did my university internship out west at T. Tom Pines, uh, and then uh, came back, worked for a summer for Michigan State Athletic Fields. Teton Pines, like Teton Grant Pines. Yep. Teton's so if National you, uh, Park. On a couple holes, if you would have hooked your drive um, off the tee, you could have hit to the base of the Tetons, uh, which was kind of neat. And the Grand Teton sometimes was my mowing line. Uh, so I'd be on a green, and I'd be looking in the morning, and I'd, I'd say, okay, i got to follow Grand Teton, put it on the left side of my mower, and keep that line. Um, which is kind of nice. And then, um, a lot of bears, uh, many bears. Any? I never, I never saw a bear on the course, but I saw a lot of bear scat in the, in the, in the bunkers. They were nice, kind of like kitty litter, right? They used those appropriately, <laughs> okay. uh, but saw a lot of moose. And, uh, I tell you what, the moose were the spookiest part. Cause you know, you get the bulls that would walk across a green or something. You take a picture, but when you had a cow and her calf, I mean, you were hightailing it out of that area and you just let that place be. So, you know, you talk about this, um, sort of the symphony that happens in the morning, right? When the, oh, yeah. when the crew gets their jobs assigned and everybody goes out and it's this well-orchestrated thing that very much unravels within a couple of seconds when you have a, you know, a moose on the cart path and say, all right, everybody that was going to hole three has got to go over to hole four and we'll come back. So, yeah. uh, and that, and also the temperature swing. I mean, you'd start in the morning, it'd be 25 degrees. You'd have a parka on and in the afternoon it'd be 85. And so like that, that temperature swing, but you know, everybody talks about growing turf out west. That was kind of a nice summer because, I mean, the disease pressure is minimal, pest pressure pretty minimal, um, and good views. And, I mean, after work, you go on a hike in the mountains and the Tetons, it's pretty good living. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, Tetons yeah, there. Okay, so we went from the Tetons to where? Sorry. Went to the te- went from the Tetons back home, so I worked for uh, Michigan State Athletic Fields. Um, okay. So I wanted to give a little bit of sports turf to supplement the resume. Uh, and then the next summer went to Ireland and worked at Mount Juliet, um, who hosted the Irish Open uh, for the last couple of years before last year. Uh, and so had a summer over there that was very much eye-opening. Um, that one was, all right, here's some money in your pocket, and here's a place that you're going to stay, and that's about it. Um, and worked through TurfNet, so it was really nice to work with John Kiger and, and go through that internship process and, um, you know, set me up. But then when I got in country, it was like I had a phone and I had his number, but that was pretty much it. I had to figure out a lot of things. So um, it was really a coming of age that it was, all right, we're going off on our own and, and we got to figure things out because if we don't, um, you know, we're, we're all we have to go off of. So there was a couple of times where I would go on a weekend, um, you know, and go off and play some course. And then, you know, that evening when I'd be coming back, it's like, all right, I got work the next morning. And if I miss a bus that gets to another bus that gets to my bus that goes home, like I'm, you know, I'm done for kind of thing. So I got very good at being uh, very intricate in my planning and my details to make sure that I could, you know, balance everything out and then not have to not have a car. So I was like, all right, I got to get to a bus and I got to walk here and I have to go here. And, um, but it was neat. I just, I mean, I got to see so many things. I got to talk to so many superintendents over there. So I, I kept a blog um, during the time for TurfNet that, if you Google my name, you'll see, and you'll see a picture of me that looks like um, 
I don't know, maybe 35 years ago, uh, <laughs> the uh, lack of hair. But, uh, you know, it was nice to, to keep that blog and to be a little bit more thoughtful about my process. So, you know, I went over there and I was earning a paycheck and I was mowing. Um, but as I was going through it, I would be thinking about things that might be interesting to put on a blog that people would, might want to hear about, people might want to have a better understanding of, so maybe some misconceptions to clear up, um, or just learning a little bit more about the culture over in Ireland and, and being a conduit for that. So that was, I think, one of the pieces that added to sort of this, this puzzle of, all right, what do I want to do when I grow up? Um, and after that summer, it was like, well, I don't know that I want to work in turf necessarily full time. Um, it doesn't really fill the cup. But looking at the way that I was able to critically think that summer about the things that I wanted to broadcast and educate about, um, knowing that I also anytime would talk to somebody on a crew that I'd be working with and I would feel um, sort of a sense of accomplishment in, in giving them that light bulb moment. And then also having a mother, a sister, an aunt, two grandparents, and another aunt on the other side of the family that are all teachers made it pretty obvious that coming home, uh, it was in my blood. It's time to time to make a move. So I didn't switch majors, but I added a major. So I stayed at Michigan State for far too long in my adult life. Uh, but I left with two bachelor's degrees, one of them in turf and the other one in education uh, for agriculture. So um, yeah, by the time I got back from Ireland, um, I was making a move to a different major. And then from there, I completely shifted into working in agriculture more broadly. So I worked uh, for two seasons on an organic research farm up in the UP of Michigan. Uh, so I was able to go up there and work with Michigan State Extension, um, work more with indigenous communities that were up in the UP, and then also just more research on um, food crops. And then after that, did my uh, master's degree at Cornell. So I got to work with Frank Rossi, who I'm sure you've ran oh, into yeah. at some point. Oh, yeah. um, so with him, I was in horticulture, but worked on curriculum uh, for golf courses. So being able to teach natural resources and um, environmental science, but using golf courses as the case studies for content in there. Um, so did a one-year master's program, and then from there came back to Michigan and uh, taught agriculture in a uh, little town of Montague uh, for three years, which were easily the best three years of my life. Like, it was just my working life, just unbelievable. High school ag? Fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I taught, uh, uh, you know, ecology, food science, natural resources, um, veterinary science, and um, I taught, oh, a, a leadership class. Um, but it wasn't necessarily sort of your blow-off leadership class. Like every one of my students had to finish the semester either having um, conducted a fundraiser or starting their own nonprofit um, and registering that with the state. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was that was an awesome class I could go off for an hour about. But, yeah, so all these kind of things, I almost think about uh, the movie Slumdog Millionaire where it's like, you know, he's able to answer all these questions based on this life experience that's all coming in different places. And so culminating into the current job that I have, it's like, all these years and all these places I've bounced around at and done so many different things. It's like, this is the time for all of it to get woven together into that final fabric. Um, and it's nice because I get to draw on so many different things when I'm in class. And, um, you know, hopefully the guys are able to benefit from that, that, um, you know, I'm bringing in a bunch of different experience that maybe isn't just the normal stock um, instructor in turf that it's like, no, I've got a lot of different things because I've had to do a lot of different things. So you're the, um, the instructor for the, uh, the gap program now too, correct? Yeah. yeah so it's like, um, you know, coming in and teaching every day, you know, is, is what I'm looking forward to. And that's the thing that I love most, um, cause that's the thing that I get juiced about. And it's like, yeah, like I love that part of the job. Um, but that's not the only thing, right? It's like before and after it's, I've got to be filling the seats for the next year's program. Um, I have to be making the marketing materials that are going to go out and tell the story of the program. And then, um, a lot of it's going to be perfecting the method that we're utilizing to actually run the program and it'd be different than something you'd see as a comprehensive curriculum at a university. So, um, I want to make sure that I reiterate all the time to folks when I'm talking that it's 
we're not trying to replace Clemson. We're not trying to replace NC State uh, because those programs are doing their thing and they're doing it at a really high level. Um, but those are catering to a certain clientele who have the money or the time to be able to do that, the flexibility, um, which, you know, I gave plenty of money to Michigan State and I had the money and the time to do that. Uh, but for a lot of folks, that's just not in the cards. Um, and it's one of those things where we, we want to push folks towards that, but we also at the same time want to be realistic. And so um, our program is filling that niche for folks that, you know, can't go off and, and do those degree programs because they have a family or other obligations. But at the same time, it's also a unique space where I can say, hey, we're not going to just sit down and go through slide after slide and have you do go through memorization and take summative assessments at the end like a typical class. Um, this really is built on the rock and the foundation of the apprenticeship where the guys are out on the course full time throughout the year getting those experiences. And then when they come into class, that's going to be filling in the little mortar between those bricks um, and where we're going to lock in a lot of those ideas and add just a little bit of the theory to the apprenticeship, not the other way around where they're going to intensive coursework and then they're going out for their internship to fill in some of the things that they experienced in class. It's the other way around. So with that comes a very different way of thinking about the educational process and saying, all right, if we're going to have it be experiences first, theory second, what does that look like in terms of the activities and the assessments that we do to make sure we measure growth for those folks that are going through that different method? And so for a lot of it's experiential learning and it's a lot of it is reflection. So today's a great example. I was going to teach weeds. And so, you know, I typically could have gone through a lecture where I would put out, you know, 20 different weeds and we'd go through slides and we'd talk about identifying characteristics and they would go through and memorize them and we'd give a quiz at the end of the week and be good to go. Uh, but that's not really the way that we want to do this program because we want, again, have the bad rock and the foundation be the apprenticeship and their work experience and their life, lived experience coming in. So I said, hey, bring me in a weed from your course and we're going to identify it in class. We're going to share the weeds amongst each other so that we all have a group of weeds. And then from there, what we don't, what we're not able to identify, we're going to learn how to be able to identify weeds for those ones that were the mystery weeds. Um, and so everybody brought in multiple weeds. I had some folks that brought in, I don't know, like 10 or 12 different samples. And so from there, the guys get to see what other weeds are growing at different courses. They get to represent their own course and talk about where they found that weed. They're able to critically think maybe what led to the growth of that weed in that specific area. Um, and so we're going through that active reflection. And then tomorrow, we're going to talk about the herbicides that we use to treat those weeds based on a conversation that they're going to have tomorrow morning with their mentors. And they're going to go through each one of the weeds and say, okay, what herbicide do we use for this, 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 and this? And then we're going to share that amongst the group. So we, we become a hive mind after we've reflected that we're able to apply the things that we're using at all of our golf courses here, not just individual ones. So I think one of the things that I picked up on too regarding the program mm -hmm. from the individual's perspective is, is the networking and relationships, Absolutely. the human yep. aspect of coming back into a classroom too. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's kind of almost critical, you know, as an association, that's, I feel like that's what our role is. Absolutely. You know, it's to bring people together for continuing education and networking opportunities. And it seems like this has been a blessing for almost all these guys. They Absolutely. work in the same town and didn't know each other. Yep. Which, um, you know, is one of the things where I've thought about that. And it's like, oh, how did you not know so-and-so from across town? It's like, well, you kind of get in a bubble, right? You're at your course and you're working a lot of hours. And then you're going home and you're not even thinking about it. For some of the courses, it's built into their culture to want to expand and get out and network a little bit more. So, um, you know, for example, one of our courses, CCNC, the guys are great about um, advocating for networking and continuing education. And so, like, I'm planning a trip to come down to the Carolinas here in a couple months uh, with the class. And, um, you know, speaking to some of the students, the CCNC folks were like, oh, we were planning on going down anyways. It's like, oh, that's great. And then talking more to those folks, it's like that's that's they're instilling that culture into their crew that it's 
um, you know, very much looking for continuing education and leadership and, and expanded networks. So that way those guys are supported, um, those guys and girls. And so I think what's neat is this class gives an opportunity for those folks that aren't already connected to connect in this class. And then when they go back to their courses, they're hopefully going to keep continuing to build those connections um, and become a little bit closer. Because, I mean, what a special place to be in this area where you have so many courses in just one spot but very different looks at each one of these courses, very different challenges. And so to be able to work together on similar things, but also unique challenges, I think everybody's just going to keep improving the tighter we get. Oh, for sure. So this is year one <clears throat> that we're in. You come in mid-year, well, <laughs> 75% year, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So if guys are listening to this or thinking about getting involved in the program, we heard a couple earlier mention Jordan doing some, I dare say, recruiting, for lack of a better word, or encouraging. Um, that's your Ballywick now, and I guess guys would anticipate spending a year with you then next year. Is that kind of the plan? Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where coming into this program, I almost feel a little guilty that it's like, oh, the, the, the path and the trail has been blazed, the machetes have been out, and now I'm going through and picking up, you know, tiny weeds along the way. It's like everything is pretty much laid out. So, you know, Chris Hartwiger and Cole Thompson and Jordan Booth, you know, those were the guys that blazed the trail. Um, but what I think is neat is coming in here, I bring a very different set of skills and expertise and just having come fresh off a PhD in education, like I'm coming in with, you know, really intensive theory on the best ways to do education, the best ways to build a program um, around educational theory. So what those guys have that I maybe don't quite have as much in, in the, the really pure, hard, intensive agronomics I can add in my educational expertise. And so between the two of those, between the content and the delivery, um, we can build a really nice program between each other. So um, I took a lot of the stuff that they started with and said, okay, you know, what have the guys done? What do we need to do to fill in the cracks down the year? Um, And then from there, you know, my job is putting out the content and then I can go to them um, because they're in the area and really easy to work with and say, hey, what do you recommend depending on this, this, and this? And then also the other, you know, a lot of the other folks at the USGA have been very supportive um, coming in and saying, hey, here's how we can help with marketing the program and branding. Here's how we can help with communication. So, you know, right now I'm working with George Waters um, and a couple of other folks on that that staff to um, build out a website for their group. And so I, I could not be more fortunate to be coming into working with USGA that everybody's so responsive, so quick and so supportive on this stuff that, yeah, it's, it's really easy. But yeah, so going forward with, you know, the hats that I'm wearing and, and being a recruiter, um, I'm looking to keep the program small enough that I can give individual attention to everybody, but big enough um, that it can make an impact. And so we've kind of set that number at 20. I don't know if that's, that's concrete. You know, it's just like 20 seems like a really nice number for now. I can handle more. I, you know, I don't know. I've had classes of 50 or 60 that I've taught and been fine, um, but you don't quite get the individualized attention. And my role is also going to be to run a field work portion where, you know, the apprenticeship happens and there's a course tied to it. And I need to go out and actually be in the field to check in with those folks while they're doing um, their job and to actively measure the skill set growth, um, the mentorship impact. And so that requires me to be on site to actually have meetings with the mentors and the mentees. You add all those up, it's like an hour or two per visit. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big chunk. And I got to do that a couple times a year. Um, I shouldn't say I got to, I get to, because it's fantastic to be out in these courses. I mean, what, what better job is it that you get to show up at the course, hop in the cart and you're driving around some of the most beautiful properties in the world and talking about golf and man- mentorship and management. And, um, you know, the, you can actively see the growth in these folks, even just over the course of a month, I can see growth and I can, see, I can hear it from their mentors talking about how much different they are on the course and, um, the, at the level of impact they're adding to the crew. It's a beautiful thing. And so, 
right now, I think we have five spots open for next year. So cohort number two, um, we've got 15 out of the 20 slots filled. Uh, but that being said, if I have a really high quality person that wants to come in and, and join the program, I'm not going to turn people away. Um, I'm sure if we get to a certain point, but I think that would be a good problem to have to say, hey, maybe we need to get a little bit more restrictive about who we let in the program, depending on some measurables that we want to see and outcomes. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of demand right now in the area, so we'll keep rolling with it. What do you um, tell these individuals in terms of expectations in you playing their courses? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so there's always the <laughs> there's always sort of the, the niceties. It's like, oh, i got to get out here and play sometime. This place is beautiful. And everybody's always like, oh, yeah, let me know. And then there's a very different conversation when it's like, hey, on Wednesday at 5 p.m., I would like to come out and play your golf course kind of thing. So um, I've not had the opportunity yet to play um, with any of the guys, but I think it's just a matter of, hey, all right, we've been talking about it. Let's get serious and actually get some time out there. Um, that being said, I, you know, I, I'm excited to go out and play those, but I want to make sure I'm not a cockroach and just, you know, waltzing in and saying, can I play your course? And I don't really care about the education stuff. I want to make sure the, the, the foundation is laid that, hey, I really care about the education part. By the way, if there's a little extra time, let's, let's play a little bit. But it's tough. It's tough to be in an area where it's like you're in the candy shop and you're on a diet, right? And, um, you know, there's a lot of places that I would love to go out and, and tee it up all the time. But I have had the good fortune of playing course two um, and played pretty well. And I, at the risk of sounding uh, a little arrogant, you know, everybody talks about how hard that course is. I, I came in and I thought that it was very playable. And I think that there's, as I got done with it, I was like, you know what, there's a very different feel of this course if you're a tour player versus just a bogey golfer, right? Like I go out and I'm, I'm happy if I shoot in the mid eighties. And I think playing from the whites on that course, I, I shot my handicap and I was like, all right, this is very playable. I think if I was playing from the tips and I was playing for a trophy and some of the shots that I hit and I didn't get rewarded how I thought I would have, I, yes, I might be a little unhappy and I might have different things to say, but I, I came out there and I was like, ah, this place is actually pretty playable. And when I had a ball bounce in a weird way, I'm like, that's what it normally happens to me, whether I'm playing at Midland country club or I'm playing at course two. So I don't know. I, I thought it was, I thought it was very playable, very, very fun. Um, that being said, I'm not sure if I could afford to play, uh, you know, once a month kind of thing, but you know, nice to splurge a little bit. Sure. Sure. So you've relocated down here then I have. Yeah. So I've relocated a few times and I, yeah, last three years was living in Pennsylvania, um, playing the university courses up there and playing the courses in the mountains. Um, so in state college in the middle of Pennsylvania there, there's lots of mountains, lots of good views and coming down here, it's like, Oh, this is very different style of turf, very different style of playing. And that's, you know, you bring up another thing too, is, trying to teach these classes, there's some of this I have to go back to school for because it's been a little bit, so i got to dust it off, um, you know, because I've, the last couple of years I've been teaching courses on, on teacher education. So I was doing my PhD program on, on teacher ed, and so I was training teachers how to teach. Very different than teaching intensive content where it's like, no, we're actually going to teach about streamwater ecology. Um, but not only that is all my training is on, you know, Cool, uh, cool season. season grasses. Yeah. So coming down here, I'm like, oh no, like Bahia grass, what the heck is that? So there's been a little bit of a learning curve there, but at the same time, what's neat is in those classes, especially at Michigan state, uh, we were pretty well-rounded and holistic and talking about cool season grasses. Cause that's what everybody was going to be maintaining. But at the same time, dedicating some time to warm season grasses because the real the realism was, Hey, we're Michigan state. We're a great program. We're going to end up sending some folks South. So they need to be prepared to at least know the kind of questions to ask once they get on site. So not like I was completely foreign to it, but there has been a couple of things. But it's nice because then I can lean on the students, right? So I'm very honest and open and transparent about it, saying, hey, guys, I'm new to this area. Teach me a little bit about your courses. Teach me a little bit more about what you're dealing with. Um, and I don't think it's, it's seen as a sign of weakness. It's a, it's a sign of like a realistic relationship as a teacher saying, hey, you know, I'm going to teach you, but it's, this is a two-way road. And I think 
tends to lead to a better relationship long-term for that sustainable education. For sure. But you do have to get out of Pinehurst a little bit more because you, you know we've got a big section of western North Carolina that yes. is nothing but cool season as well. No irrigation on some courses, and it's – yeah, we've got our fun too. One of these days, yeah. So I uh, actually had an interview uh, in Boone at App State, and ah. I, uh, that was heartbreaking to turn that down because what a beautiful place um, that, that would have been to live. Uh, but, yeah, I um, – you know, seeing that and having a little taste of it, I was like, all right, I, gotta, I could find a place here. But – that being said, the commute's a little long, so uh, maybe I'll have a vacation home uh, out there at some point and be able to go back and forth. All right, so um, what's your selling point? What's your sales pitch? Why come to Gap if anybody that's out there listening? Why send somebody or why come attend? Well, so I think that uh, if you're going to come attend, you're going to be uh, one of three different people. Uh, so I've had to get pretty good at identifying you know, what those three people are going to be. So one, um, you're going to be a, a person that is not able to go to a four-year university. Uh, but you want to advance your career, you want to make more money, and you like coming to the golf course and you want to learn a little bit more about why you have to do the things you have to do. So pretty simple. You're just living day to day, you know, making a paycheck, um, and you've got a little taste for a little knowledge, but you know, you're, you're kind of stuck in where you're going to be, and so you want to do something that's going to be advantageous to you. Um, the second person that would come in the gap would be somebody that wants to move into the area that is going to be the home of golf, right? So um, and it is becoming the home of golf. And, and so you want to be around major championships. You want to be around um, these elite resorts and elite golf courses where turf's maintained at a very high level. Uh, but at the same time, you have a very different culture down here where you have manageable work weeks. You have folks that are really genuinely nice to each other. Um, you, have, <laughs> you sound like that's well, surprising. <laughs> well, you know, coming from some areas, it's like, all right, you got to deal with a little bit of the culture difference. But down here, everybody is like when somebody says hi, they mean it, right? When somebody says that, you know, they'll – um, they want to hang out at some point. They, they actually do want to hang out. And it's, it's a beautiful thing, and it's been really nice to come down here and experience that. So um, they're going to be somebody that's going to want to come down, probably volunteer at the U.S. Open, um, probably be down here for the next U.S. Open that comes in a few years. Um, and they want to be somebody that's around really high-level golf and learning from some of the best in the world. Um, and so you know, if that's somebody that's the case, and whether that's somebody that wants to move down here permanently or somebody that wants to take a sabbatical where they're maybe working on the crew at Wingfoot, um, they can manage to take a, a year off to come down here and train and come back. Um, that's an ideal candidate. And so th- we've had some talks about what that would look like to say, okay, a lot of crews are hurting for guys, so they don't want to lose anybody. Uh, but if there's a place that really does have a big crew and they can send somebody off for a year, train and come back, what an enrichment that would be to your crew to bring back all that experience, especially volunteering at a championship site um, and learning from the folks down here and just the way they do things. It's only going to add to the crew when they come back. So somebody that either wants to come down and stay or come back, but either way wants to be around the championships. I think that's going to be a huge one. Um, The last one that I can think of is somebody that is looking for a second career option. So they've gone through a career, um, whether they've been in the military or they've been a school teacher um, and they're saying, hey, you know, I liked what I did, but it's time for a change. Um, and I'm looking to go back to school, back to back to a different career. But I, again, don't want to make that sacrifice and go through a whole another four year degree program. But I've got some credentials. All I need is just a little bit of catching up to speed so I can advance in this career um, and have some transferable skills. That's a perfect person for this. So, you know, I, um, you know, whether I'm, let's say, a, a woman, again, that's been a school teacher for 20 years, and I say, hey, I'm looking for a place where I can go and be outside and get some fresh air. Um, and also, I really like to be outside. I like to garden. Um, you know, that would be a perfect person to have on a crew um, because they're going to have an eye for detail. They're going to come out. They're going to work hard, and they're going to enjoy every day because they're going to appreciate that, man, I had a chance to do this as a kind of a renaissance um, in my life. So 
Um, I look at some of the folks that are in the course right now that are like that, where they started a second career and they started off January of this year um, working on a golf course crew for the first time. And now, man, they're loving it. They, they, they had the bug bite them. And then they also, within the, the industry, and I think what this is cool, is that you start on a crew and you're just changing trash, you're uh, moving tees around, the basic stuff. But then you see all these little kind of ancillary pivots that you can make off from it where you can specialize in things like spraying chemicals, um, fixing irrigation lines. You can go out and, and be in the workshop and, and work on the mechanic side, um, you know, fixing mowers. You can work for a fertilizer company. Um, you know, you can go off and work in sales for equipment. You have all these options that you can go off from when you have that base experience in turf. I mean, man, how perfect is that, that you can start off and, and go do that and then fan off from there. So there's a couple different folks that could potentially, in your mind, qualify to come in here. Absolutely. I think those, those three are the ones that I've seen for now. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be another uh, bucket, you know, of person to come in. But, yeah, I think that's um, it's just a year which I think for some folks seems like a very long time. I think for other folks, it's blink of an eye, right? And so I think that's neat that it can be perceived either way and used either way. So it could be, man, a year of life-changing education and work experience on the crew. But it'll also just be one year where you come down, you're getting that experience and you're bringing it back, and then you have 10 or 12 years in the industry after that that has been enriched as a result of being in the program. So, yeah, I feel very fortunate to just be at this perfect little juncture uh, where we have a lot of, of moving pieces and a lot of things that are evolving, but at the same time, at the core of it, it is, hey, we're going to do a one-year apprenticeship. We're going to fill in the spaces and the gaps with some education, um, and you're going to have support the whole time. Nice. Okay, so if anybody wants to participate, how do they figure out more? Where do they go? How do they get in touch with you? Great question. So if you Google USGA Gap, um, there's going to be some articles that pop up, and so you'll be able to see a couple nice blurbs um, on the USGA Green Section website. Uh, and so those right now are going to be the places where you can see some information. Um, and then you're going to see between there and between um, some social media posts from the USGA green section, um, you'll see my name. So Carson Latat, and you'll see my email. Easiest way to reach out to me is probably going to be over email. So V dash C L E T O T at USGA.org. Um, so those right now are our are, are pathways. But very, very soon, we'll have a website that'll be able to anchor in this space, not only information on the program and signing up, but then some of the information that's going to be very pertinent to this style of education and the program more holistically. So, hey, what does it actually look like when we teach reflection um, in, in turf classes? Um, what does it look like to do apprenticeships and mentorships um, within the turf space? So hopefully, we'll also be a storehouse for that and kind of information and then research that's getting done. So I started with the program in January. Um of this year as the monitoring and evaluation specialist. So kind of a consultant brought in while I was finishing up my PhD. Uh, and so I've been surveying these guys pretty intensively um, from the beginning of the year till now. Uh, and I'll finish out this year. And so I have a, lot, a ton of data on everything from mentorship to career development to career readiness um, that I'll be able to report on and hopefully we'll keep it going. So we actually have some really good data that gets published in journals that talks about the process and talks about the growth and maturation of all these folks in the program and what that looks like and the best practices to lead to high success rates of retention and recruitment. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of good things in there. And um, hopefully my name is going to be associated with a lot of the good things in there and we'll get this streamlined. Um, so that way folks will be able to find a little bit more information. But, yeah, for now, um, reaching out by email will be perfect and um, more than happy to discuss our options because a lot of the folks that are going to be coming into the program are going to be coming from out of the county. Uh, but everybody's hiring right now. So if anybody's getting in touch with me and they want to come in and, and, get, in, and get into the program – um, based on what they're looking for from a mentor, from the culture of the crew, 
uh, and living arrangements, um, I can definitely find them, of course, because out of the you know, tons that we have, each one's going to have slightly different hallmarks that are going to cater to a person a little bit better. And I, I have enough of a finger on the pulse that we're going to be able to find you yeah, a good home. Nice. Wonderful. Well, I can't tell you how um, blessed we are in the Carolinas. Not only is the USGA kind of doing a, a, a second home here, but uh, the renewed partnership that, that we as an association have had um, as just a regional. We're one of 99 chapters, but um, to know that we can work with the one of the two leading golf organizations in the world is pretty special. Absolutely. So um, as, a, as a home of golf fan at the old course and an American home of golf fan in Pinehurst, you know, I was there when we had our governor say a couple years ago in North Carolina that um, – Golf is in the DNA of this state. So, um, Carson, welcome. Look forward to helping you any way that we can. And um, you got anything else you want to leave us with? I, well, I tell you what. Um, I think that it's uh, of the utmost importance that I share that my first ever vehicle uh, was a 98 Chrysler Town & Country minivan. Well done. Uh, painted dark green. And uh, I could take the back seats out and had a lot of room for activities. And so uh, when it came time to go to a social function, where folks were um, seeking hydration. I was typically the uh, the kind D and D, the kind DD uh, that could fit, uh, you know, the better part of a classroom in there. So, uh, yeah, I became the transportation specialist uh, for a lot of social functions, and I'm very happy to do so because it, it gave me a sense of pride that, like, hey, people talked about me in a good way because I had the cool car. Nice, nice. And he follows up by listening to all of our earlier questions <laughs> as I forget. So, all right, everybody, thank you for listening, and. Um, Come hang out with the guys at the Gap Program. They're pulling weeds all year long. Take care. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Pulling Weeds, a podcast of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association. Stay tuned as we will have another episode out soon. For further information on the Carolinas GCSA, please visit our website at carolinasgcsa.org or call our office at 864-843-1150.